Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And like I said, the title of tonight's message is God is for you. This is part number 3. And uh, we've been going through just a little series anytime I've been up here on Wednesday nights talking about how God is for each and every one of our lives. Oftentimes, people think of God as a contrary force to our lives. We want pleasure, but God's against us having any fun. He's got to be, right, because of all the do's and don'ts in the Bible. We want to prosper, and God's against all of these because money is the root of all evil. We want peace in our lives, but there's all kinds of troubling things that are happening all around us, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And yet, the problem is not with God. The problem is rather with our view of God and our definitions of things like pleasure, prosperity, and peace. Now, in previous messages, we found out that God is for both our peace and our good. And I want to just remind you, because it has to do with what we're going to talk about tonight, that we talk about peace in the sense that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You remember we talked about the shalom, that that was a wholeness. It was a peace that encompassed the whole person, that it was a, a, a full body, full mind, full soul, spirit experience with God, that we could have that peace, that we could have that calm, that we could have that sense of being fully equipped in every way. Okay? And then last time we were together, we talked about that God is for our good. That we should not be seeking our own pleasure, but rather seeking to please God. And as we please God, that God has good things for our lives. And those good things may not be good defined as the world defines it, but rather as God defines good. And good is what God says. Tonight, I want to talk to you about God is for us in another area of our lives. And the area that I want to talk to you about tonight is that God is for your provision. God is for your provision. I thought about saying God is for your prosperity, but I, I didn't want to confuse what we were thinking about when it came to the shalom that we were defining as God takes pleasure in the prosperity, the shalom, the peace of his people. Okay, so, but as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what? God really is for our provision. And no matter how you define prosperity, we are to prosper. We are to have that peace realm and all that comes with it. But God wants to provide for you and for me. See, people too often misquote the Bible by saying that money is the root of all evil. You say, Pastor, that's in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 10. That's exactly why I had you turn there tonight, right? 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 10. But I would take anyone to the mat and say that this verse does not say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's read it together and find out what it really says. First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 10. I'm going to read it to you in the New King James Version. You can read it in the NLT, the KJV, right? Uh, any translation that you have. But, but, but really, you're going to get the same thing out of it. I looked through the translations, and really, it's all going to say the same thing. First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 10 in the New King James Version says, for the, for the, for the what? For the love of money is a root Old King James Version says the root of all kinds of evil. Notice that it does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There is a distinct difference. Now, I want to just mark and note that I fully recognize and fully understand that the Bible was not written in present-day English. 
Secondly, I want to note that I understand that the Bible was not written in 1600 King James English. The Bible in different parts was written either in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. It just so happens that this letter that Paul is writing to the one whom he calls his son Timothy would have been written in Greek, the language of the day. And so here he's writing and he says that money is something that we all have to deal with. If you read the context of 1 Timothy chapter number 6, he talks about the desire for wealth and riches, and we'll cover some of this tonight. And he comes to verse number 10, and he says, For the love of money is a root or the root of all kinds of evil. Not saying that it's the only root, but it, it is the root of many other diverse evils that may come into our lives. See, people that love money might murder somebody to get money. People that love money might compromise their integrity in order to get money. They might cheat someone. They might go and steal, right? It's the root of all kinds of evil. When you love money, it will cause you to do things that you would not normally do if you were seeking to please God. Are you listening tonight? We got to make that distinction because it's quite different. So the question begs to be asked, is God against us having money or wealth? The answer to that, biblically, is a resounding no. God is not against us having anything, but rather that God is for your provision. Are you listening tonight? Because we're going to dive deep into this. I love what Pierre Chiron said. He said, riches should be admitted into our houses, but not into our hearts. We may take them into our possession, but not into our affections. Do not love money. I love what the Bible says in the book of James. Do not love the world or the things of this world because he who loves the world is at enmity with God. Heard the story about a rich man that died, was, was on his deathbed and he was dying. And uh, he was very wealthy. He brought his wife into the room there on his deathbed and he says, darling, I want you to take uh, the checkbook and bring it to me. And she said, okay. So she brought the checkbook to him and he wrote on it the entire sum of their fortune. Her eyes just got huge, wide. And he said, Here's what I want you to do. This is my dying wish. I want you to take this check and put it in an envelope. I want you to take it up to our attic and hang it on the highest rafter that you can so that when I die and my soul departs on my way up to heaven, I can grab this check and take it with me. Now, this woman loved her husband deeply, and so she took that check with their entire fortune written on it. She put it in an envelope. She took it up into the attic, found the highest rafter in the attic, and placed it there on the highest rafter in the attic so that as his soul departed from his body, on his way up, he could grab that check and take it with him, from he with him to heaven. The next morning, she comes to find that her husband has indeed passed. She mourns. She wails. She cries. She weeps. And then she remembers I wonder if he grabbed the check. And so she runs upstairs to the attic. She goes up to that highest rafter in the attic, and wouldn't you know, the check is still there. And she goes, oh, man, I knew I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me. Romans chapter number 8. Man, I, I got to get some new jokes. I've been telling some groaners lately. I apologize. For those of you wondering what that last statement went, just listen to the message from this weekend. You'll get it. You'll get it right up front. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31 and verse number 32. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. 
And verse number 32, we're talking about whether or not God wants us to have anything, wealth, money, possessions. What does God want in our life? Do we have to take a vow of poverty when we become a Christian? Romans chapter 8, sorry, verse number, there we go, 31 and 32. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, everybody say God is for us. Now personalize it, say God is for me. Why don't those of you watching online tonight write in the comment section, God is for me, and put me in all caps. What, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who then can be against us? I love that verse, don't you? Oftentimes quote that verse. If God be for me, who then can be against me? Right? We say it in the old King James Version because it sounds holier and it sounds like it's more potent and better when we say it that way, right? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son... But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, everybody say with him. Oh, come on, say it again. Say with him. Type it in the comments section with him and put him in capital H-I-M. With him, look at this, also freely give us just enough to get by. I'm sorry, is that what your Bible says? Uh, just, just a little dab will do you, right? That's all, God, just a little dab. That's all you get, no more, right? I'm sorry, what does your Bible say? It says all things. Freely with Christ, God gives us all things. There is a New Testament counterpart to the shalom that we saw in the Old Testament. The New Testament counterpart is a word called sozo, meaning saved or our salvation. When we are saved, we get the peace. When we are saved, we get everything that we have need of. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ. And with Jesus Christ comes all things that we have need of, whether it be pertaining to life, to godliness, to being a witness, to doing ministry, to doing family, to doing business, whatever God has called you to do. If you are saved, if you are in Christ, Christ is the head over all things. And therefore, with Christ comes all things. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. God is the Father. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns the heavens and the heaven of heavens. He owns the host of the heavens. He owns the earth and those who dwell there within it. But he has given it, the Bible says, to the sons of man to steward it. See, everything that's around us, everything that we can see, everything that we breathe, everything that we feel, everything that we touch, taste, smell, and see, all that stuff in this world is God's. But God says you are stewards. You can have it as long as you realize that I own it. It's mine, but you get to use it while you're here in your temporary time here on the earth. And yet we put so much stock in things, don't we? That's why the Bible says the love of money. It's very important that we check our heart when it comes to our wealth because it's a fine line and it is a tipping point that many people have pierced themselves with many evils because they desire to get rich rather than desiring to get God. For all of us, we need to understand that God is for you. God is for your provision. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God doesn't want you out begging bread on the street. God wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for your children. He wants to provide for your children's children. The Bible says a good man lays up an inheritance for his grandbabies. That means you got to have something to leave it. God is for you. 
But wait a second, Pastor. Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus didn't have a car. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. Yeah, that's right. But you know what Jesus did have? He had 12 guys that were walking around with him in the ministry. He had another 70 that were disciples that he sent out into the ministry. And he had thousands that attended to him and that were surrounding him. And Jesus, listen to this. you got to hear this. Jesus provided for them all. You want me to prove that to you? I'll prove it to you from the scriptures. Jesus had a treasurer. You don't have a treasurer if you don't have money. Jesus had money coming into the ministry. He had to support these guys. He had to support the 70. So he had a treasurer. And he had so much wealth that the treasurer could skim off the top because the treasurer's name was Judas. Come on, somebody. He was skimming off the top, and Jesus still had enough to pay for the needs of the ministry. They didn't even notice that there was a lack. Jesus had material wealth that he used for the kingdom of God. And when Jesus didn't have money, you know what he did? He looked up to heaven. He thanked God. He broke the bread. He broke the fish. He gave it, and the people got as much as they their bellies were full. They were burping up fish flakes, right? And they gathered up 12 backs, baskets of fragments left over. And Jesus said, let nothing go to waste. Why? Because we're going to use those 12 basketfuls. That abundance is God's abundance. That wealth is God's wealth. And we're going to continue to use that for the kingdom. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker, provided for needs. He took pride in not taking from the church, and yet the Apostle Paul was a missionary. He traveled. He had to work hard and make money in order to pay for things like food. In order to not be a burden on the church, that means he was paying his own bills. He went to work, and he had money to take care of needs. And on the way, there were other people that funded the ministry. Lydia was one of them. She was a great woman, invited him into her house. She was a seller of purple. This woman was very wealthy and was able to help provide. And there were other churches that the Apostle Paul did take a salary from, or receive, I should say, a salary from. He received gifts from the Philippians. And in fact, he put pressure on the people to give charitable donations to the church in Jerusalem. See, oftentimes people get down on the church when we talk to you about your money and yet realize that we're not talking to you about your money because we want your money. We're talking to you about your money because we care for your heart and your soul, and we know the scriptures, and we understand that God is for you. He's for your provision, and that there's a purpose in your provision. That's really what this is all about. See, God wanted you to overcome sin so much that he gave his own son, Jesus. He wanted you to have eternal life so much that he made the ultimate sacrifice, And then Romans, we just read it, says that if he didn't withhold his only son from you, how much more will he give you all things with the son? If God's not going to withhold Jesus, his best, his most precious, the, the, the very wealth of heaven himself, the darling of heaven, if he would not withhold Jesus, then why is God going to withhold any good thing from you? Notice I said good thing. Because good doesn't mean what we think is good. Good means what God says is good. And God will not give you something like, Lord, give me a million dollars, and then it's going to wreck your soul, right? God will not give you that because that's not good for you, right? Just like my kids. Daddy, I want ice cream for dinner every night of the week. No. 
Why? That's not good, but it tastes good. It feels good. It, it, it makes me good, and then you don't have to argue with me, and that's a good thing, right, Dad? Right? And we try and talk ourselves into the million dollars or the wealth or whatever it is that we think that we need at that point. God's saying, I will not give that to you, but I will provide for you. I'll take care of your needs. He clothes the flowers of the field. He feeds the birds of the air, and not one of them falls to the ground without his notice. Yet God says, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. He gave his one and only son. Now, this is obviously a throwback in Romans to the book of Genesis, where God had asked Abraham to give him his son, his only son, Isaac, the son of promise, the one that he waited for for 25 years from the time that God started speaking to him. The one that him and his wife had laughed about, right? Isaac, laughter, this son that God gave him. Now God says, give him back to me. And Abraham wakes up early in the morning. He goes up the side of the mountain, and he gets ready to sacrifice his son. And God says, stop, wait. Now I know what's in your heart. I've proven the way that you are, Abraham. All of a sudden, God starts to bless him. See, when Abraham lived out his faith in obedience to God, he was blessed. That's an example for you and for me. When we live out our lives in obedience to God, we're blessed. And Abraham was a very rich man. Again, in the Bible, this is the father of faith, right? We're told to emulate his faith by doing what? By doing the works of obedience. And so if we are the sons of Abraham, then that same inheritance, that same blessing that came upon Abraham will come upon you and I. That's what the book of Galatians says. Abraham was so blessed that when his, not, his ne nephew Lot was captured, he took his 318 servants born in his own house. I'm sorry, 318 servants? Born in his own house? Him and Lot who had so many possessions and so many cattle and sheep and goats and livestock that the land could not even sustain them together. They had to separate ways. He takes his 318 servants and goes and fights a military victory and brings them back. Abraham was a very rich man. Beyond wealth, he was rich in his faith. Beyond wealth, he was rich in his walk with God. And beyond wealth, he was rich in his heritage and in his family because out of his loins came Isaac, who came Jacob, who came the 12 tribes of Israel, who came the nation of Israel, who came Christ, the Messiah. See, the amazing thing now is that when we look to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the blessing is transferred to us. And we have everything we need in our life because he gave his life. Are you guys listening tonight? We have everything we need in our life because he gave his life. So just two things for us tonight. Just two things. I know most of the time we got three. Tonight, I got two. Remember two things tonight. Number one is trust God for your provision. Trust him. Trust God for your provision. That means don't worry, don't fret, don't fear, don't run from it, don't hide from it, don't scorn it, don't mock it, don't make up excuses when you don't have it. Listen, just simply trust God for it. You, you there still in 1 Timothy chapter 6 or did you turn to Romans 10? Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I'll turn there with you, all right? 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and this time we'll drop down to verse number 17. 1 Timothy Chapter number 6 and verse number 17. Let's take a look at it together. It says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Some of your translators might say not to be prideful, right? Right there when I read that, some of you guys look at your neighbor and you go, mm-hmm. I see you, right? 
I see, I see those Yeezys you're wearing, right? I see, I see those shoes, right? I, I, I see that jewelry. You got, oh, you got your nails done. How'd you get that done in the middle of COVID? Must be talking about you. I see that bag. LV. That's not Las Vegas. That's Louis Vuitton right there, right? We start judging people. That's got to be someone else. But did you know that if you slept on a bed that has a frame and not on the ground, you're rich? Got, got a paper Bible? Oh, I've got a device that has 372 translations of the Bible on it. Huh. Because there's people on the earth that don't even have one single translation in their native tongue. You must be rich. Oh, I'm not rich. I just live in a one-bedroom apartment. That's more than most people. Just drive down to Tijuana, a couple hours. Go and take a look at the cardboard boxes there. Drive a little further and go to the dumps, and you'll find the children living in the dumps where the fire's coming up out of the ground because of all the chemical reactions that are taking place under there. Right? We're rich, guys. Let's not kid ourselves. In America, even our most impoverished are a part of the top 10% of people in the world. And I would even venture to say probably top 3%. For any of us that have a job, any of us that have an income, if you had three meals today, you are doing really, really well. So rather than look at your neighbor, let's all look to ourselves and say, hey, don't be prideful. Don't be rude. Don't be haughty, right? Look at this. Nor to trust. Everybody say trust. Remember, we talked about the love of money. Now let's talk about a trust because with our wealth, with the provision, it's a trust issue. Nor to trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God, notice it says that the riches are uncertain. Why? Because the crown doesn't endure to all generations. The Bible says that money grows wings and flies away. Some of you guys experience that. You get your paycheck and you're so excited. Tomorrow's the first, right? Come on, somebody. We're going to have money again. Praise the Lord, right? We're going to the grocery store and we're going to splurge. Because that's the only place that's open right now. We would have gone somewhere else, but that's all we can get right now. And then day two hits, right? The second. And you're like, where'd all the money go? Man, we didn't splurge that much at the grocery store. Like, what is going on? See, we are not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at the end of the verse. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God is for you. He's for your provision. He even wants you to have fun. Oh, my goodness. That's the God we serve. Yet a lot of people think that God is against us having anything. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. You can read along in whatever translation you have. But I just need you to get a hold of this set of verses right here. I need you to get this deep down in your heart because Jesus is talking to us. In the midst of a time of economic uncertainty, I believe that we need to know that God is for us and that God is for our provision. And these verses right here, if you will meditate in these verses, if you'll roll them over in your thinking, if you'll mutter them out loud and speak them to yourselves and tell yourselves these things, I believe that you're going to be much better off than sitting around worrying about what's going to happen in the stock market and what's going to happen if so-and-so is elected and what's not going to happen if so-and-so is elected and, and, and what's going to take place and how am I going to make it? How are we going to do it? Listen, just get these verses on the inside of your heart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, down to 33 in the New Living Translation. So don't worry. We ought to just camp right there, huh? Don't worry. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? What's going to happen in the stock market? What's going to happen if they're elected, right? All those questions. Verse 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. 
God's not unaware. He knows you need sneakers for the kids. He knows they've outgrown the past six pairs of jeans you bought them in two weeks, right? He knows those things. He knows you need to go to the grocery store. He knows. He knows your needs. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. I love what the New King James says: seek first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness. Look at this, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Other versions say all these things will be added unto you. See, our God is a God who knows what we have need of. And he will add it to you as you have need of it. You may not always feel like God's on time, right? But God's always right on time. He will always meet your needs. Remember one time we were taking a trip down to Santa Monica. We were with uh, Angelus Temple, great church there in Los Angeles, helping out with the Dream Center. And uh, we were going to pick some guys up for church. And so they drove up to this one section of Santa Monica, and, a, and they just honked the horn, and some guys just came, ran, came running, jumped in the van. And as they got in the van, we were talking and just talking about life, that sort of a thing. And some of the, the people on our, our group started to witness to these guys, oh, we know God. We're Christians. That's why we jumped in the van. We're going to church, you know. And they were kind of like, wait, you know, you know God, that, but you're homeless. And they said, yeah, but we've never missed a meal. God's too good for that. We've never missed a meal. God takes care of us everywhere we go. We're doing just fine. Don't worry about us. We're okay. We, we could stand to lose a few. You know what I'm saying? See, God knows our needs. Uh, the other day, I went and took the car for an oil change. And so I had my wife drop off the car. I was uh, helping my mom out with some things. And so I was off at her house. And so I get these text messages start hitting my phone. Now, any of you know, when you send the wife to the place that you normally go, some of the men can understand this, right? You know, the, the car is usually like the man's responsibility. So I'm usually the one going to the auto shop. So when I send my wife to the auto shop and I start getting text messages, I know something's up and it's about ready to cost me some money. You guys understand what I'm saying? You know, so I'm just going every time that thing, I'm just seeing dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. What is going on with the car? You know what I mean? It's just supposed to be an oil change. And so they start talking about pastor, not pastor, uh, Dan, you know what I mean? Like, Dan, they're saying that uh, we need to get some new tires on the car. Now, Pastor Joe is probably somewhere in the back rolling his eyes because he told me this a couple weeks ago. He said, hey, I think you, you need some new tires on the, on the car. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, and so now they're telling me the same thing out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. And so... Uh, you know, they said, what do you, what do you want to do? And, and this and that. I said, okay, well, just, just, you know, let's look at it. What do we need? And so they presented us some options, that sort of thing. And so I'm seeing all this. And wouldn't you know it, man, tires are expensive, aren't they? Especially, you know, I say car. It's actually our SUV. So big tires are actually really expensive, aren't they? I mean, I used to work at a tire center and doing that sort of thing, but I never looked at the prices. Of the, I just popped them on and popped them off. That was my whole job. You know what I mean? Just made sure that they were seated and sealed and balanced and on your way. But now I'm looking at the price going, my goodness, those, those things that we were putting on there cost that much? And uh, so I said, man, we just got to bite the bullet. So, you know, we'll just go for it. So we put it on. And uh, so I go back, finish up what I need to finish up. And then we end up heading out. And so, uh, you know, later on that day, I get the phone call. Hey, come on back. The car's ready, this and that. And so I'm like, all right. And, you know, I had the number in my mind of what we were, what we were paying. And so I get there. And my service advisor, cool guy, goes to Diego's church, just a brother in the Lord and a dear friend. Um, he says, hey, pastor, you know, I, I got to tell you, man, um, we, we couldn't get the tires. And in my mind, it's going ching, ching, ching. You know what I mean? Like, we couldn't get the tires that we had first quoted you. So I went online and I found the same tire just with a different number. 
And so I'm going, oh, okay, so same, maybe, maybe more, you know. But anytime it's new, they usually come out with a new higher price, that sort of thing. He says, so we put the, the new tires on. It's the same exact tire. It just doesn't have the same number as the other ones that we were looking. Those ones were discontinued, and then they brought back the same exact tire with a new number. I don't know why they did that, but it's different. And so I'm going, okay. And he says, and so, um, and, he, and he's like getting the paperwork. He's like, let me show you the old paperwork, and let me show you the new paperwork. And I'm just going, man, this is going to this is going to hurt right now. Just like, man, you know? And he says, so the, so the old ones right here, see that, see that number right there? And he goes, and then he brings out the new one. He puts it down and he says, so the new ones are a hundred dollars less. And I just went cha-ching. That's what I'm talking about right there. See, God knew I needed tires. God knew I didn't want to pay that much for tires. And God knew that they were going to change the number and that the new number was going to have 50 bucks less per tire just for me to feel more comfortable about shelling out all that money. At least I could come in front of the church and say, hey, I got a good deal on the tires, right? And now I feel better about it. But listen, God is for your provision. God can make things work. God can make things go to your advantage. God can work it out. You know, God does not need money to provide for you. If he can feed Elijah with raven's meat and a brook by the stream, if he can feed him with a little bin of flour and the jar of oil, if God can sustain the man of God, don't you think that God can take care of your needs? Don't you think he can give you a discount on tires or free shoes or any number of things that God could bring into your life? God wants to provide for you. And listen, if you're struggling, there's no shame in coming and getting a 50-pound box of chicken from the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. That's what we're here for. So trust God for your provision. But second is this, second is this, is use what you have. Don't let what you have use you. Use what you have, but don't let what you have use you. Edmund Burke said it like this. He said, if we command our wealth, we shall be rich and free. If our wealth commands us, we are poor indeed. You guys heard of John D. Rock, Rockefeller, right? Rockefeller Center in New York and uh, the, the Standard Oil Company that was broken up in the antitrust laws, that sort of a thing. John D. Rockefeller was well known for being the very first billionaire that we know of worldwide, right? There, there may have been others like Solomon that exceeded his wealth, but as far as just dollars and cents, he was what we know to be the first billionaire. And, and it's attributed to him. I tried looking this up. I couldn't find out whether or not he actually said it. But it's attributed to him that there are three rules for becoming rich. Number one is show up early. Number two is work late. And number three is find oil. That's a joke, okay? That's a joke, all right? So just making sure you understood that. Um, but really, you know, all joking aside, he and his family were people of value. He was a devout Baptist. And, and his family has stayed wealthy through seven generations that have come since he was on the earth. All right? Now, that's an amazing thing because usually it goes from the parents to the kids. And if the kids don't screw it up, most of the time the grandkids will, right? And so usually only three generations will wealth last. But this family has stayed wealthy through seven generations. How do they do it? Now, there are some things that they do that help. Family meetings every year. They talk about what their investments are going to be. They talk about life. They talk about how people are doing. They listen to new ideas, that sort of a thing. As well, they go back and remember their past. They have their homestead. They remember the values that brought them to the place that they were at. 
as well as uh, they, they don't have a single family business. You remember Standard Oil was broken apart into different little companies, right? Different subsidiaries. And it was, it was then broken apart. So the family didn't have one family business that the kids are fighting over that, that would tear them apart, right? So all these things helped. But the biggest thing that they said that helped this family to continue to be wealthy and, and to continue to have the wealth that started with John D. Rockefeller is that they're generous, they're a generous family. See, John D. Rockefeller tithed on his first, paycheck, first paycheck. And over his lifetime, gave over a half of a billion dollars away. Some $537 million he gave away in his lifetime. Now, guys, that was in 1937. That's a whole lot of money in those days that he just gave away, that he gave to charity, that he blessed people with. More than half his fortune he gave away. His descendant, David Rockefeller Jr., gave his first paycheck to charity and tithe to his church at age 10. See, these values were instilled in them at a very young age to be generous. David Rockefeller Sr. gave over $1 billion to charity in his lifetime, and in his death, he might match that amount as his, all of his goods are auctioned off and all the proceeds are going to charity. See, there's something that takes place when we use wealth rather than let wealth use us. Many people look at money as the controlling substance of their lives. Well, I wish I only had so that then I could do this or I could be this or I could help out. You know, I would give a tithe. I would give to charity. I would go out and do something great. I would start something. I'd start a business. I'd, I'd start a ministry. I would go and do something if only I had wealth. Listen, you have something much greater than wealth. You've got God who gives you all things richly to enjoy. He's the one who did not withhold his son from you, and God is for you. He's for your provision, and therefore, what are you sitting around crying about money for? God's saying, if I've given you a dream, if I've given you an assignment, if I've given you my word, then I need you to go out and do what I've called you to do. Because the Bible says that God is a God who supplies seed to the sower. That means you don't have to have seed to be a sower. You've got to be a sower first, and then God will supply the seed. You understand? In God's economy, he flips things upside down. Who has more when they give things away? Only the people of God. Why? Because God's word is true. And whatever you sow, you will also reap. And therefore, when you are generous, the Bible says, he who waters will himself be watered. I love what Luke chapter 16, verse number 9 says in the Passion Translation. Jesus has just given them a parable of a shrewd manager. What does that mean? This guy was dishonest. And he talks about in the parable that the master of the shrewd manager commends him for his shrewdness. In, in other words, even though he was being dishonest, the master sat back and says, I see what you did, you rascal, you. And he commends him. And to conclude it, obviously God does not want us to be dishonest, he, but he does want us to understand what we have and the provision and the things that God brings into our life. And so in Luke chapter 16, verse number 9, in the Passion Translation, it says, It is important that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God by winning friends and blessing others. Then when this world fails, or some translations say you fail, and falls apart, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. That's an amazing scripture, isn't it? Jesus is saying, when you die, the people that you used your money and your wealth to reach for me, 
will be standing there in heaven, welcoming you into eternal dwellings. Guys, we cannot let wealth and money use us. We are not the pawn of wealth and money. I will not submit to an ungodly master named Mammon. Jesus Christ said you can't serve two masters. It's either God or money, but it can't be both. You're either going to hate God or you're going to hate money. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money, but you're going to serve somebody like the old song says. Some of you guys over a certain age know what I'm talking about. The rest of you guys, look it up. But God has provided greater things for us than things. Isn't that awesome? God has provided greater things for us than things. God wants us to have an eternal perspective. And when you have an eternal perspective, no earthly temporary thing can catch your eye. No glittery, glittery, shiny thing can stop you. Why? Because we know that in heaven, they pave the streets with shiny things like gold, right? We know that there's a crystal sea. We know that the wealth of heaven is much greater than the wealth here on the earth. Heaven is full of abundance. Heaven is full of things that money can't buy. You know, you can buy medicine, but you can't buy health. Heaven has trees that the leaves are used for the healing of the nations. Isn't that amazing? See, the wealth of heaven is much greater than we can even fathom. There is no lack in heaven. There are storehouses of abundance. And Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. Some translations say mansions. I don't think that whether it's a room or a mansion is really the main issue. The issue is, is whether or not God has space for all of the people that God wants to bring into the kingdom. God is filling up heaven. God is patiently awaiting for you and I to get the clue that it's not about this temporary stuff. Let God take care of this stuff. God will bring provision. God will bring more than enough. God will bring the money that you have need. God will pay the bill. God will bring about a breakthrough that you have need of. That's nothing to God. God knows how to move goods and services on the earth, but we have to keep our eyes fixed on the eternal perspective that it's not about the stuff that I have. It's not about how much I have or don't have. It's about the fact that God is for me, and if he's for me, he will provide for me. And this eternal provision is of utmost importance. What we do with eternity is the biggest and most important thing that we will ever understand and ever work towards. God is for our provision. We can trust him for it, and we can use what we have to provide for others. Everything that we have, whether it's a house, a car, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a piece of clothing, all of it is for the kingdom's purpose. See, the Old Testament talked about tithes and talked about offerings. In the New Testament, the reality, it's all. Everything that we have is God's because we are in the new covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement. It's like a marriage. Everything that I have is God's, and everything that God has is mine. It's not a matter of the stuff. It's a matter of the heart. Trust God, follow him, and use your wealth in order to bless others. Can anybody say amen tonight? Come on, God is for you, and God is for your provision. Let's just take a moment and let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, we're so grateful that you're for us. Thank you for the things that you provided for us in Jesus Christ and in our salvation. Would you just take 30 seconds and would you just pray this prayer to God? God, what are you speaking to me specifically through this word? And just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart.
Father, we thank you for the word that you've committed to our hearts in this holy moment. And Father God, out of those things that you've committed to us, we commit right back to your care. We ask, God, that you would empower us and give us grace to do that which you've called us to do. Lord, tonight we declare we trust you. God, give us the wisdom to have an understanding how to use the things that you've given to us to reach people for Jesus. So that when it fails, or that when we discard this earthly tent, that we are welcomed into eternal dwellings. We can say like Jesus, here I am, and the people you've given to me. We thank you, God. Thank you for your loving care for our lives. Thank you for your, your provision. You're a good father who takes care of his children. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.